That was great. No greater love. I sometimes feel loved very, very much by you. And it's so good to be here. And thank you for having us again. And I trust that uh, God will bless the word as uh, we share it this morning. One of the greatest, the most life-changing experiences a person can have in his lifetime is to have a personal encounter with God. And because this idea is so awesome to contemplate, I began to think of a few examples when God came into the life and experience of a number of people. And the results were dramatic. It changed a person's life and it changed that person's character. And the blessing of God became evident And I would like to add that the change that occurred was very exciting. And I'd like to remind you of a few of these encounters with God this morning. First of all, we have the encounter with Moses at the burning bush, where God revealed his name to Moses and where Moses was commissioned to go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And here was this little guy, I imagine him little, going to mighty Pharaoh and saying to him, let my people go. And this is one of the great stories of all time and it was occasioned by an encounter with God at the base of a flaming bush, a burning bush that wouldn't go out. What a great thing to have during an energy crisis. We then have the encounter of Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 with the captain of the host of God. And the encounter was just before the battle of Jericho. And at the command of the person whom Joshua called Lord, Joshua, like Moses, took off his shoes from off his feet because the ground that he was standing on was holy. Here's an encounter of assurance just before the Battle of Jericho, which at that time was considered to be an invincible city. And next we have the encounter of Gideon, Judges chapter 6, with the angel of the Lord. And Gideon is hiding. And Gideon is protesting his weakness, his inability, his nothingness. And this encounter was encouraging because Gideon receives the Lord's promise, I'll be with you. And here we have an encounter that tells us that we don't have to go it alone. Another great story of an encounter with God is in Isaiah chapter 6. And please allow me to read to you Isaiah 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. He had been on the throne for over 50 years. In the year that he died, Isaiah saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah's encounter involved seeing the living God lifted up. Way up, exalted, high up. It involved taking his eye off 
the vacant throne of Isaiah. What were the people of Israel to do when this man who had been on the throne for 50 years now, he's gone. And the throne is empty. The encounter with that Isaiah had caused him to look to the God. And it also exposed Isaiah's uncleanness. But it also provided a means of cleansing from that uncleanness. And when the time came for God to say to Isaiah and to others perhaps, Whom will, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah is ready to say, I'll go. Send me. Send me. The encounter of Isaiah results in confession and obedience. Moving from these biblical examples, I'd like to tell you about, very briefly, about my first personal encounter with God. It occurred in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. You don't need to turn to it. And it was... During the course of that encounter that I surrendered my stubbornness, my pride, my fears, my unbelief. And my encounter was one of welcome, Hugo, and the embrace of God. That was my encounter. In the passage that I would like to consider today, it speaks of a man by the name of Jacob. He had an encounter with God that took the form of a wrestling match. And if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Genesis? First of all, in Genesis 27. Genesis is always easy to find, isn't it? Genesis 27 and verse 41 and 42. Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, his mother, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Keep that, those words in mind as we think this morning. Genesis chapter 32 now. Genesis 32 verse 24. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. 
for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, what is that to you? What is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that we might have an encounter with you. And Lord, uh, we know that you're ready. You're here. And we pray that you would open up our hearts and our eyes and our ears and every receptive vessel within our bodies to hear your voice. We pray that you would bless the reading of this scripture. And may it help us. May it teach us. May it teach us, Father, what you would have for us today. Bless this congregation of your people. Thank you for hearing us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To give our story a little more background, we all must realize that Jacob had several previous encounters with God where God had tried to get Jacob to trust him. There was the encounter at Bethel in chapter 28 with its great vision of a, of a great ladder reaching up to heaven. And on top of the ladder up there in heaven was God himself. From the divine presence that Jacob saw came a direct message. And the vision and the message resulted in Jacob Jacob making a vow that Jehovah would be his God. Then there was another encounter in the land of Haran where God used disappointment in chapter 29. He used trouble in chapter 30. And opposition in chapter 31, all designed to lead Jacob to trust. But unfortunately, all of these were of little or no effect. They didn't last very long. And then just before Jacob is going to encounter his alienated brother Esau, with whom we read just a little while ago, that Jacob had a grudge with Jacob. And Esau has 400 armed men. Just before this encounter that Jacob was imagining, he had an amazing encounter with the angels in chapter 32 and verse 1. And this, it seems, was intended to assure Jacob that God would be with him until his purposes were accomplished. However, for Jacob the self-reliant one, even this assurance was short-lived as Jacob would again trust his own ingenuity to get him out of the jam he might be in. You ever trust your own ingenuity? Huh? 
And at last we come to our lesson for today. The encounter Jacob has with God that takes the form of a wrestling match. And this is not the Olympics, folks. Jacob seems to have one great absorbing thought in this chapter. And it was his meeting the next day with his brother Esau. And Jacob is scared. Verse 6 of our chapter tells us that Esau has those 400 men with him. And that Jacob is afraid and he's distressed. It didn't seem to occur to him that there was a far greater need. And that was a meeting with God. So we have two great thoughts that summarize the story before us. Jacob must meet God before he meets Esau. And this one meeting will be the means by which God is going to do a wonderful work in Jacob. I'd like to just ask a few questions here. Have you ever been faced with what seems to you to be a very difficult problem? Have you ever had a problem in your life that uh, was difficult to face? Have you ever felt that you were opposed by some insurmountable obstacle? Have you ever come to your wit's end in view of some terrible need or crisis? Do you have an Esau in your life? Someone that's got 400 armed men. And here you are all by yourself. Did it ever occur to you that the overwhelming importance of meeting with God before meeting the problem? Before meeting the obstacle? Before meeting the crisis? And I want to impress upon all of us that we need to learn this story of Jacob. To learn his spiritual lessons and to discover the secrets of spiritual power and blessing. And so I want us to look at the text now. And if you have your Bible still open to chapter 32, I want you to look at verse 24 first of all. And it says there, Then Jacob was left alone. There aren't any angels now. The angels that were there in verse 1 of chapter 32, the same chapter. There are no angels. He doesn't have his family. He doesn't have his servants. He has no one to consult with. No one to console him. He's left alone. And he's very conscious of an impending crisis tomorrow. Anything might happen tomorrow, especially if if Esau rejects the bribe that Esau was preparing to give him. He was covering all of his bases, this guy Jacob. How many here would like to be left alone during a crisis? How many here would like to have experienced counselors to consult with during a problem? Does being alone help you to think more clearly? Or does being alone only increase the fear that you already have been uh, uh, feeling? I suggest the latter. And it's in this solitude, this aloneness, at night, that a man wrestles with Jacob. And I want you to notice carefully the wording of verse 24. It says, "...a man wrestled with him." 
And this verse is sometimes read as though Jacob wrestled with the man. And the wrestling seems to be initiated by God. The wrestling was an effort on the part of God to break down Jacob's opposition. To bring him to an end of himself. To take from him all the self-trust, all the confidence in his own cleverness and resources, and to make him know that Esau is to be overcome in Canaan obtained, not by craft or flattery, but by divine grace and power. Uh, was this a literal physical struggle? The text suggests that it probably was. However, the physical part is minor compared to the spiritual. And the bodily weakness was to be a symbol of the spiritual need of man. When you read of the struggle there during the match, it seems that Jacob is using all of his resources, all of the tenacity that he can muster. Jacob is not going to give up easily because Jacob has just got to be in control. And so we too struggle and strive and fight and all to no purpose. I still can recall resisting, struggling, attempting to be clever as the dear man tried to speak to me about surrendering my life to the Lord. I remember this man asking me, wouldn't you like to know that you're saved? I said, of course, anybody would like to know that. But you can't possibly know until you get on the other side. You know, I was going to argue with this guy. And the dear patient man said to me, Would you believe it if I could show you from the Bible? And I said, Maybe. (laughs) And that's when he had me read John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30. And as I read, I could see that these verses did indeed say I could know that I had eternal life. But again, my stubbornness said no. I'm not going to give this man the satisfaction of knowing that he had proven his point. Have you ever been stubborn like that? (laughs) Well, later that night, in my room... All alone. I was brought to grips again with those verses. There had been a Bible in our home only for a couple of months. I had never read it. Never seen a Bible. And when this man had me read these verses in John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30, I memorized them as I read them. And I began to repeat those verses to myself in my room and received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You know, the self struggles so hard. It doesn't want to give up. Kathleen and I were with a man two weeks ago who refused to go to a Bible study class because he didn't want to be obligated, he said, and he wanted to be in control. God had been trying to get 
to Jacob to trust him for a number of years. And so he had several encounters with Jacob. As I mentioned before, he met him at Bethel. A few years later, he met him at Haran. And then, as we noted earlier, he was met by an angelic host. And the effect of these encounters were just short-lived. And self again regained control. And now comes this additional encounter, the wrestling match. And I believe this wrestling was God's way of breaking down Jacob's opposition to take away all of his self-trust, all of the confidence in his cleverness, to take away his reliance on the flesh. And Jacob was to learn that Esau is to overcome not by craftiness and flattery and bribes, but by the power of God alone. And I'm sure you notice as you read this little story, it's not a long story, that God doesn't defeat Jacob immediately. I'm sure you also notice that the self-life doesn't give up easily. We hold on to all of our supposed resources and we're tenacious in protecting our self-life. The flesh doesn't give up easily. So what happens? Jacob's opposition was so strong that nothing short of divine power was necessary to break him. And so what does God do? He touches a little socket in his hip. And here's a great question for you. How does somebody wrestle with a bad hip? How can somebody possibly wrestle with a bad hip? And God takes away the very power required for wrestling by a touch of his finger. God takes away with one gentle touch, not just the power for wrestling, but he brings Jacob to the very end of his resources and leaves him entirely powerless. And as we shall see, his touch is always one of love, of wisdom, of mercy, if we only can see it. But what can Jacob do? His power for wrestling is gone. You, you need to have good hips and good legs to wrestle. What Jacob does is he clings. He desperately holds on for dear life. And Jacob says to this person that he's wrestling with, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I think it's at this point that he recognizes who this personage is that he's wrestling with, and he recognizes that he is God himself. And Jacob seems to be conscious at last of the futility of all of his efforts to appease Esau and overcome his anger, and so he clings to God. A couple more questions. What if Jacob had learned the lesson earlier, how much trouble and anxiety would he have been spared? He wouldn't be afraid of Esau and his 400 men. No need of planning to appease him with a large bribe. No concern for his wives and children. He wouldn't have that kind of stuff. No need to limp around the rest of his life. If only... He had learned to trust God and put Him first. 
Sometimes we learn the hard way. But I'm so glad that notwithstanding that God is still a gracious God. Even a wounded Jacob can experience power with God by clinging. He holds on. He clings. He asks for a blessing. Verse 29 says, And so he blessed him there. Now, what was included in that divine blessing? The blessing seemed to be concerned with Jacob's life, his character, his need for transportation, his need for confession. And I want you to notice how this develops. If you still have your Bibles, look at verse 27. Before the blessing which is given in verse 29, we have a very significant question in the text. And the question is, what is your name? The answer, my name is a deceiver, a cheater, a manipulator, a sinner. That's what the word Jacob means. He confesses he's a lousy sinner. This is the first time since he was born that Jacob acknowledges his name. I know of no other text other than that one where Jacob acknowledges his name. He acknowledges who he is. He acknowledges what he is. Never before had he been asked the question, what is your name? And Jacob needed to confess what he was. And that what he was is that he was a sinner. What does God do in blessing Jacob? He changes his name from Jacob to Israel. God's prince. The one who is no longer the crafty one. The one who is worthy to prevail, to lead, to rule, to overcome. He changes his name. I love those passages in the scripture where we read of changed, of a change in names. Abram to Abraham. We have this one here. We have in the New Testament, Simon changed to Peter. And Simon represents that which is weak and vacillating and movable and fraught with all kinds of problems and changed to a rock. And so God changes His name. And a new power was to be His. He'd experienced power with God by clinging. He's not to have power with Him by reason of having power with God. And I suspect too that Jacob in confessing what he was had a great burden lifted. You know, keeping a secret that you're a cheat, that you're a thief, that you're a sinner, that you've broken the law, that you've disobeyed God, that you've dishonored God, keeping that kind of a secret has to be a tough uh, burden to, to carry. And I'm guessing that this was a real, real heavy load. 
Jacob knew he had been blessed by God. We know this from verse 30 where we are told that he called the name of the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been spared. And all all that God did was touch the socket of his hip. If you're still looking at your Bible, now notice verse 31. And I want you to notice the language there. Now the sun rose upon him. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the sun rose over the land. It doesn't say the sun rose over uh, Penuel. It says quite clearly the sun rose upon him, Jacob. It seems like Jacob is the focus of attention even of God's S-U-N. And everywhere where I read in the Old Testament about the sun, it suggests God's favor upon an individual. God's son, God's favor rose upon Jacob. And the sun seemed brighter, I'm sure, that morning than ever. And the very face of nature seemed changed by reason of that vision of the face of God. The Son of God's glory, I suspect, was reflected also on the face of Jacob. God's Son rose upon him. What a great verse. And there's another thing in verse 31 I want you to notice, and it's this. And he was limping on his thigh. Jacob was going to carry the mark of his encounter with God the rest of his life. Uh, wasn't going to go away. And in chapter, the last chapter, chapter 49, I think, of uh, Genesis, where Jacob is, resting, uh, uh, is blessing his uh, twelve sons, it speaks of him resting on his staff. That mark was with him and it would remain with him the rest of his life. And uh, praise God that Jacob was a marked man. I think it's at the end of Galatians where it says, where Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. God had met him. God had taught him. God had blessed him. And now he could meet Esau without fear and face any emergency in the strength of that glorious vision. I know we didn't read this passage, but uh, how, how did he get along with Esau? Uh, it, it's really great. You, you'll want to read that. Because they meet and Esau comes and embraces Jacob. They hug Here's the guy that wanted to kill him. And now he hugs him. Had God blessed Jacob? (laughs) You bet your life he did. In closing, I'd like to ask, what does Peniel mean in Jacob's spiritual history? Peniel was at least the third occasion of an encounter with God by Jacob. And just let me repeat here. The first encounter was at Bethel where the house of God reminded and assured him of the divine presence. The second was at Mahanaim 
where the host of God, the angels, taught him the divine power. And thirdly, we have Peniel where Jacob goes beyond the ideas of God's presence and power to that of divine favor and fellowship. In other words, in the last encounter, Jacob learns about personal relationship and friendship. And the face of God is used constantly in Scripture as a symbol of favor, friendship, and fellowship. Just give me, let me give you a couple of verses. I won't turn to them. Exodus 33:11 and verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 10. In the believer's life, in your life and in mine life, fellowship is the highest of our spiritual privileges. 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. What does this fellowship with God accomplish? The face of God changes Jacob's into Israel's. God is waiting to transform and change our lives. You know, we strive and we plan and we struggle and all to no purpose. And power with man comes from power with God. No other way. You know, we wonder who's going to roll away the stone at the grave of Jesus. You remember those dear ladies? As they came with their spices and they were going to anoint the body of Jesus and they wondered who's going to roll away the stone? Who's going to roll away the stone with its seal? Who's going to roll away the stone guarded by 16 Roman soldiers? Who's going to push away that heavy rock that blocks the entrance to the tomb? You know, when they get to the tomb, they find the stone is rolled away. Yeah, isn't that neat? How God works in our lives, the stone is already rolled away. And power with God in Jacob's life came by surrender and by clinging. And self is the greatest enemy of blessing with God. The face of God is the place of spiritual blessing. And in the presence of God, it's impossible to use carnal weapons. They don't work. When Jacob stopped struggling and started clinging and confessed who he was, blessing came very quickly. The Scripture says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And blessing must be obtained in the right way or not at all. And the greatest need of man is the grace of God. And this is not only independent of, but opposed to all that is earthly and human. May the Lord help us in our penile experiences, our encounters with God, that our character might be transformed. That we might experience the power of God in our daily life. Sometimes we, you know, uh, 
Matter of fact, some of us men were talking about this yesterday morning as we met for Bible study. That we get discouraged that we uh, don't see things happening in our lives for God. We don't seem to have power with God. And we need to have power with God before we can have power with men. And we need to keep on clinging to the God who will surely bless us. May we all experience the blessing of God in our life as we have encounter with him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the lessons that we derive from this man, Jacob. This man who is in many respects so much like us in our striving, in our cleverness, in our unwillingness to to surrender to you. And yet how foolish it is to keep on in that path when we find that the way of blessing is indeed the way of surrender. And so, Father, we say, Lord, help us with these fleshly desires. And, Lord, we just bring them to the cross and surrender them to you there. Father, bless each person here today. May we each know the power of the risen Christ in our lives. Lord, dismiss us with your blessing. We leave this place and we leave one another, but we're grateful that you never leave us, that you're always there with us. Bless the fellowship here. And may we all experience the power of God in our lives. May the sun rise upon us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.